watchtower looking for an approaching enemy. Perhaps there's a grumpiness, a, a, a readiness to, to, to see what God has to say in response. You know, part of his answer there in verse 1 is Habakkuk is, um, as Habakkuk waits for God's response, part of his answer there is what I will answer. He's already thinking about what I will answer about my complaint. I, I don't know, anybody else willing to, caring, uh, willing to admit that perhaps in conversation with others, sometimes you're too busy thinking about what you're gonna say next to even hear them? It, it makes me a little nervous about Habakkuk that he's, what I will answer. He's already thinking about it, it seems, but I'm encouraged by the, the phrase before that. Habakkuk says, I will look out to see what God will say. And so perhaps maybe Habakkuk's posture is not this. Maybe he's all too aware of the fact that he has bluntly challenged God, and and maybe his posture is ready to receive. As he says there, I want to see what God will say to me. I know what I've said to him. And I don't know about you, but I hope uh, Habakkuk's ready to listen. Either way, whatever his posture was, he had dared to question or challenge God And now I hope he's ready to listen. And now I hope we're ready to listen. So what did he just challenge God on? If if you've been with us, you've heard this conversation in recent weeks between God and the prophet Habakkuk. In chapter one, you've seen this back and forth. Habakkuk complains, God responds. Habakkuk complains, and now we're back to God's response. So what, what what had Habakkuk challenged God on? First, it was this, how long, O Lord? How long am I going to cry for help and you're not going to answer? God, why do these things happen around me? Why am I experiencing violence and strife and dissension? Why is there disobedience among your people? Why is there evils in the culture that surround us? Why does it seem, God, like you sit by idly? How long? That's Habakkuk's complaint. And God's first response is, Habakkuk and friends here this morning, Church family, sometimes this is God's response. I'm going to do something that you won't believe. You think it's bad now. It's actually going to go from bad to worse. I am going to, in this case, in this case, in this historical setting, God's answer to Habakkuk is, I am going to raise up the Babylonians, this evil empire, the Chaldeans. I'm going to raise them up, and they are going to discipline. They are going to be a an instrument of mine, an instrument of God in the discipline of my people. I'm going to do something you won't believe. And of course, Habakkuk's then response is, say what? You're going to do what? That doesn't sound like the God I know. Your your eyes are pure. You, You don't put up for evil. You know, what are you talking about, God? Where are you and where is justice? When is justice going to prevail? You're going to do what? So that's what Habakkuk was lamenting, complaining, knowing the sinfulness of people. Habakkuk was all too aware of the sinfulness of people, the wickedness both in, in others, outsiders, the culture, but also wickedness, disobedience within God's own people. And, 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 and last week there was even a sense, if you remember, There was even a sense in in Habakkuk's language where it seemed like he was going, hey, you know, I know we're blowing it, but they're way worse than us, right? Habakkuk's going, you know, we're not doing the right things, but those people are really wicked. 
But you and I need reminders this morning. Habakkuk needs the reminder that the Bible says no one is righteous. No, not one. There is no one who can stand pure, faultless on their own merits before our great God. And so Habakkuk is lamenting. He's complaining. How long is this evil going to go on? How long, uh, God, will you tolerate all this disobedience, this evil? Why is this surprising to Habakkuk? Why, can he, why is he so shocked that this is going on and on and on and, and God doesn't seem to be doing anything? Why is Habakkuk surprised? Because God, I mean, because Habakkuk knows God to be holy, set apart completely transcendent from our human experience and from our earthly existence. God is transcendent, set apart, above, exalted, the one who is worthy of our praise. Amen? Habakkuk knows that to be true about God, his her holiness and his perfection and his transcendence. And so he's lamenting because he knows that human sinfulness, that human wickedness, that our falling short, that our rebellion against God incurs the wrath of God. There are to be consequences for sin. There are to be, God will punish rebellion against him. And Habakkuk knows that judgment is coming. And, and, and yet he knows, too, that God will preserve and rescue his people. Amen? Do you see the problem there? He knows that people are blowing it. And that that incurs God's wrath. That there is to be judgment against sin and rebellion against God. And yet Habakkuk knows that God will rescue and preserve a people for himself. And so what's going on here? How is God going to do this? How is God going to rescue his people even in the midst of this chaos that Habakkuk is complaining about? Open your Bibles if you haven't already and find Habakkuk chapter 2. We'll start at verse 2. You'll have to believe me when I say Habakkuk is a book in your Bible. (laughs) You might need to use your table of contents. Feel free. Uh, Hopefully you've kept a bookmark in it the last few weeks. It's toward the end of the Old Testament portion of your Bible. Uh, It's written by the prophet Habakkuk. It's capturing this conversation. And we're in a series of messages we've called How Long. And by the way, uh, I jumped in there because I wanted to jump in there and get going and show you some posture. But my name is Derek. I'm one of the pastors here. And we're glad that you are with us. And uh, one of the things we do together every Sunday morning is look to God's word to hear from him. And so I want to encourage you to bring your Bibles or your device with your Bible app and open it with me to Habakkuk chapter 2. And uh, we just covered verse 1, and so now we'll pick up the story at verse 2. And the Lord answered me. So remember Habakkuk complained. The Lord answered. Habakkuk complained. And now God's answer again. Verse 2. And the Lord answered me. Write the vision. This seems to uh, refer to a prophetic message, a prophetic vision. Uh, God giving Habakkuk instructions to write this down. This is the message for my people. This is what's going to, what we need to be aware of, what you need to pass along as a prophet of God. And, and, And as we know, these prophetic messages often entailed God's coming judgment, warning his people to repent of their sin, to turn away from rebellion, to look to him. These prophets were given this heavy burden, this message to bear, to proclaim to God's people they're blowing it and they need to turn back to God because judgment is coming. So the Lord answered Habakkuk, write the vision. 
make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. Now, we're not sure here if this is who's running here. It could be the herald, the messenger, the running this message to God's people. But, but it also may be people running, fleeing in fear of coming judgment. Verse 3, for still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. God, I mean, friends, sometimes we, we wonder where God is, when he's going to act, when, when he's going to set things right, when things are going to go from, from, instead of going from bad to worse, we, we wait for God to make them better. And it might take a while, but these verses reminded that it's God's perfect timing, that he works in his appointed time. And if it seems slow, here we are, continuing in verse 3, if it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Yes, God's setting things right, but first, judgment. Judgment will come. God's pureness, his holiness will, his wrath is incurred against rebellion against him. Judgment will come for Judah, for God's people, and for the wicked in the culture. So we've already touched on this, but let's, let's just set the stage then as we want to we see what God has to say to us this morning through his word, is that Habakkuk has rightly recognized this problem, right? This gap between our human sinfulness and rebellion against God, he's recognizing this gap that exists between us and our human sinfulness and rebellion against God and God's holiness and otherness and transcendence and perfection. That there's, there's this gap. So he's rightly recognizing that there's this problem created between human sin and God's holiness. What's going to reconcile this? What's, how is this possibly going to be made right? And so whether or not Habakkuk's posture was this or this, ready to receive from God, ready to hear, ready to be rebuked, perhaps, whether, 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 whatever his posture was, God answers him. God answers Habakkuk comes to God, is honest with God, calls out to God, cries out to God, complains, and is frustrated, and yet asking for God to respond, and he does. Verse 4, behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright. His soul is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. So first there's this, this compare and contrast here, right, between the one with a puff, who, who's puffed up. And, and in the context of this passage, it's referring to he, the, the wicked, the wicked uh, enemy, the, the Babylonians, or, or maybe it's, it's a personification of, of the king of the Babylonians as a, as a representative of those people, of those evil, wicked people. Behold, it's his soul that's puffed up. And, and we're, we see this comparison between this prideful, proud, puffed-up soul who, whose things are not right within him. And then we see this contract compared to the righteous, those that are right with God, live by faith. And so it's not just they. It's not just they, those wicked Babylonians. It's not just they that are proud and puffed up. It's any of us who are proud and rely on ourself to survive, rely on ourselves to get by, rely on ourselves to please God, rely on our own efforts to earn our salvation, our rescue. But the righteous shall live 
by his faith. Habakkuk complains, God answers. Habakkuk complains, and God answers with perhaps, I think perhaps the most glorious truth in the Bible. We saw this problem between human sinfulness and God's holiness. And I think in 2 verse 4, God answers with perhaps the most glorious truth of the Bible, that God has a solution for this gap, that God has a solution for this problem. And that is something we're going to study this morning called justification by faith, that we are made right with God through faith in Jesus. So we're going to think this morning for the next little bit about the word justification and this glorious truth that God has a solution to the problem. Um, But first, when I think about the word justify, I mean, maybe perhaps what you uh, think of first when you think of justify. Any of you ever have to justify anything you do? No, never, right? When when we justify something, we're trying to convince the other person or other people that that it's reasonable. What we're doing is reasonable or warranted. We're, we're trying to justify ourselves. Whatever it is we've chosen to do that may raise a question mark by someone else, we're trying to justify ourselves. We're trying to say, no, this is an acceptable option. So what are some of the things that we have to justify? I mean, for, for me, with many of you, I have to justify that I am a fan of the Oregon Ducks. And for some of you, that justification isn't very hard. And for others of you, I'll never be able to justify it, right? I'll never be able to explain it in a way that makes it an acceptable option. Have you ever justified having dessert? Why did you need to justify dessert? Because you had some perception of health or, or, or not needing the extra calories or whatever, right? There was something working against you, but you wanted dessert, There was a problem there, right? There's a gap between what I should do and what I feel like doing, right? So we justify. Well, it's my birthday. And tomorrow, it's my birthday. And to the next day, my birthday was two days ago. Or a nap. Have you ever justified a nap? Yeah, I'm tired. I'm tired. I'm going to nap. Whatever it is, you know, and this, this week... Uh, I had the fortune of getting away to the coast with my beautiful wife for two nights, just us. Um, enjoyed the blessing of a, of a gift, of a beautiful place to stay and, and enjoy the ocean and some time together. And, uh, you know, do I need to justify my vacation? I don't think so, but if I did, here's my justification. We are two and a half weeks away from cele- celebrating 20 years of marriage by God's grace. So, so... Do I deserve vacation? Should I, do I deserve to get away, to enjoy the ocean, to, to have things I don't deserve? I don't know. There seems to be a gap between that and what I earn and what I deserve. I justify it. I say, well, hey, God's grace, 20 years of marriage. I think we can get away for a couple nights, right? <laughs> so it's fun to justify those things. I mean, it's fun to justify a dessert or, or a nap but how do we reconcile this problem we've been talking about? Those are, those are little things. Those are fun things to justify. Those are fun things to think up an excuse for why it's acceptable. We, we, want, we, we justify our nap or our snack. It's because we, we want to come up with a reason why that's a, an understandable, a reasonable option. 
But is there a reasonable justification between this massive gulf between human sinfulness and rebellion against God and falling short and failing to please him in our own efforts and trying to be a good person and going to church once in a while and maybe I crack my Bible once a year. I try so hard, but I'm a disaster. I go against God. I do the things I don't want to do. I don't do what I'm supposed to do. Is there any way for us to justify, to make it seem acceptable that we in that disgusting mess, me included, would be made right with a holy and perfect God that would be put in relationship with the God of the universe? Is there anything that would seemingly make that make sense? There's a gap between our sin and God's holiness. There's a problem between the, the wrath and judgment of God that is due our sin and rebellion. And there's a, there's a problem created there. And yet, he's going to rescue a people for himself. That's our problem. But we know God to be a God who pursues and rescues. So what is the justification? What is going to make this mess seem acceptable? Justification by faith in Jesus Christ. God's solution to the problem is is this theological idea called justification, and here's a definition from one of my theology textbooks. Justification is an instantaneous legal act of God in which he thinks our sins are forgiven. Cheer that. An instantaneous legal act of God in which he, number one, thinks our sins as forgiven. And he considers Christ's righteousness as belonging to us. And he declares us to be righteous in his sight. Justification is good news. This, This instantaneous act of our salvation where our sins are declared forgiven where God sees not not us, but Christ's righteousness as belonging to us. And so we are righteous, we are made right, we are saved in his sight. That's a glorious theological truth, isn't it? I wanna take this moment and uh, invite Pastor Matt to join me up here. I I wanna share a quick update about uh, the way that God's working in Pastor Matt's life. And, And this ties in here because it involves studying these glorious truths of God's word. So um, Pastor Matt's going to come up here, and as he does, I want to remind us that our church, Faith Church, is part of an association of churches across the country, right, called the Evangelical Free Church of America, the EFCA. Our local church is part of a a tribe of churches called the Evangelical Free Church of America, and um, and we love being part of the EFCA. The EFCA is a, is a great movement. And when we hired Pastor Matt several months ago to be our worship pastor, one of our expectations for him would, that, would be that he would work toward licensing, credentialing as a pastor within the EFCA. Uh, there's some work involved, but we feel like it's an important process um, for us pastors serving in EFCA church to be licensed or ordained, uh, as I recently was, in the EFCA. So, uh, so we ask you to do that, to be working on that. What has that looked like for the last few months? Yeah, so um, what that looks like is um, about probably half as much work as Derek did, um, <laughs> because ordination is a lot more. But we go through a couple books, and uh, the EFCA has 10 articles of faith. Um, and so each month I write about a one and a half to two page paper on 
what the Bible has to say about the church, what they have to say about Christ, who he was as a man, uh, his work, uh, the Bible, our 10 articles of faith. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm currently working on that. Just got done with number six. Um, so four to go. Right on. Ooh. Yeah, getting there, chipping away. Yep. So, uh, so the, he's talking about the EFCA has a statement of faith, 10 things that we believe. And you said each month you're writing a paper. Yes. A page yeah. and a, writing a page and a half paper is not as easy as it sounds. No, because I don't get to use quotes or like actual Bible verses. I just get to use a, the reference. So like if I'm talking about an idea, I can't say, oh, Matthew 7, 28 says this, and I get to fill up two lines of paper. No, I just get to state it and then reference M-A-T-T-7 colon 28, and that's all the room it takes up. And, and so these are, there's a lot of my thoughts involved. <laughs> yeah, and, and these are massive theological truths, Oh, right? for sure, yeah. And, and I don't know if you're like me, but I want to try to explain this massive theological truth in a yes. lot of words. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> and, you, and you have to work hard to make it a, a page and Condense a half. It, and so yeah. you've been studying, you've uh -huh. been writing, and I know once a month you meet with a, a group of pastors that are yes. also working in this process. Yep. Um, what have you found, how have you seen God use this as a blessing in your life as you've been just doing this hard work? Well, it's great. Um, you know, I graduated from Corbin University, which required um, a bit of theological training. And so I've gone through some of this, but it's just a good refresher um, as just a follower of Christ and as a pastor to be, this is what I believe about who Jesus Christ was as a man. This is what I believe uh, about the Trinity. This is what I believe about what God has called us as a church to be. Um, and so it's just good to look through what the word says about these different things. Um, and it's really cool because the EFCA isn't, um, we believe um, wholeheartedly with very important things, mm. but we don't split hairs about certain other things. So there's mm. uh, about a group of five or six pastors from around the Northwest, um, and we don't believe exactly every single thing, but the cool thing about the EFCA is that that doesn't matter to us. We're all united in Christ. Um, we believe God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. We believe those things. We believe salvation is only through belief and declaration of Jesus Christ uh, by grace and not by works. Justification by faith alone. Exactly, yes, <laughs> we believe that, but we don't, you know, we're not gonna complain if, you know, their church starts at 845, or we start at 10. You know, it's just the little secondary faith issues we don't, we don't care about. Yeah. We just care about our faith in Christ. Wanting people to know and follow Jesus. Yes, yeah, exactly. Well, I'm thankful, brother, that you're working through this process. Yeah. Uh, I think it's an important process. I think that uh, our church has high standards for our leaders, but yeah. more importantly, I think God has high standards for us as pastors to rightly divide the word of truth, to, to come to his word and be able to understand and be able to help our people follow yeah. Jesus. So thanks for that process. Let's you give bet. him a hand and encourage him in all the hard work he's doing. I wanted you guys to be aware of that because that's, you know, in, in, above and beyond all that he does to serve you and serve God around here, he is working hard at that process because we ask him to, and it's, and it's, and it's really fruitful in his ministry. And he's, uh, as he said, six Six out of 10 statements, he's through the process. So another few months, he'll be working hard. But there's a lot of reasons why he would work that hard, why I would work hard toward ordination. But I mean, right up there is what we were talking about a few minutes ago, is why wouldn't I want to bask in the glorious truth of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ? I want to study it. 
I want to learn it. I want to write about it. I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't understand it perfectly. God is mysterious and mighty and bigger than me, but I want to study it and know and do my best to, to declare God's word to you. And that's what Matt's working on as well. And so thankful for that. So he is, has uh, completed six parts of our statement of faith. And number seven, here's what's in store for you, my friend, coming right up here on your next paper. Article seven begins like this. There's more to it, but this is the first part. We believe that the true church comprises of all who have been justified by God's grace through faith alone in Christ alone. We believe that the true church, that remember, church, is church a building? Is church an hour of worship on Sunday? No, nope. church is the people of God. We believe that the true church, the people of God, is comprised, is made up by people who have been rescued by Jesus. We believe that the true church, that, that true followers of Jesus are those who have been justified, made right with God. This gap, this problem has been reconciled. It's been reconciled because they've been justified by God's grace to them as they put their faith in Jesus Christ. I want to read for you just a, a, just a few sentences from my ordination paper on this topic of justification. This might seem weird but it, I can't think of a better way for me to summarize some of this glorious truth for you besides reading the Bible verses themselves, which we're going to do as well. Okay? So if you want, you could even close your eyes and listen to this glorious truth, or, or, or you don't have to. But here you go. Just a few sentences from my ordination paper on this article of faith about justification. Guilty sinners are justified, declared righteous, not guilty, through faith alone in Christ alone. In the face of God's just judgment, in the face of God's coming judgment, justification declares us to be in right standing before him because he both forgives our sin and considers Christ's righteousness as belonging to us. Justification comes, out, it comes to us out of God's grace, his good, kind favor toward all of us undeserving sinners. God sent Jesus to die in our place because of his amazing grace. This is a rich blessing bestowed upon us that none of us deserve. The only means by which we receive the gracious gift of justification, the only way we receive this gift is by faith, by trusting in Jesus and what he has done. Grace through faith alone in Christ alone emphasizes that we cannot earn God's love that we cannot earn God's love or our justification before him through anything we do, nor by putting our trust in anyone or anything other than Jesus Christ, whose atoning death on the cross provided the all-sufficient sacrifice for our sins. How does that sound, church family? <laughs> Jesus is good news, right? Justification is good news. When you think about your Bible, where in your Bible do you find the good news of Jesus? Every page. Hey, nice. Every page. Yeah, we're going to see that, I think. Because when I first think of the good news of Jesus, what part of my Bible do I think of? 
I might be tempted to think of only my New Testament, that, that the story of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, yes, it comes in the New Testament. And so what, if, I'm, if I'm up here all lathered up in excitement and sweat over the glorious theological truth of justification, why does this have to do with Habakkuk? Well, what is Derek all fired up about? I thought we were studying an Old Testament book. Well, we're gonna see that the Old Testament, that Old Testament promises are fulfilled in Jesus, that our entire Bible from front, from front to back tells the big God story of God working to preserve and rescue a people for himself. So what was that conversation going on? Habakkuk calling out, how long, Lord? Why is this going on? And we've been talking the last few weeks that you and I relate here we have our conversations with God that start with, how long and why? What is all this going on for? And God's response is, you're not gonna believe this. I'm gonna do something you won't believe. Sometimes God asks and, I mean, sometimes we ask and God answers in a glorious way and just like we want and things are solved and, and our prayers are answered and things go our way. And other times God answers, you're not gonna believe it. Things are going to go from bad to worse. And then Habakkuk and us, and, and us too, come back at God. You're going to do what? Say what? That's not the God I, I know. That's not, that's not how I think you should act. That's not the timing I prefer you to operate on. Where is justice? When are things going to be made right? How long will God tolerate this evil? And God's response to Habakkuk and to us this morning are the reminder that the righteous are to live by faith. That the righteous are to live by faith. Yes, judgment is coming. God's wrath poured out on sin, on rebellion against him is coming. But God promises that the only way for you and I to preserve our life in the midst of judgment is through faith in Jesus Christ. Not by our own efforts, not by trying hard to be a good person, not by pulling ourselves up by the bootstraps, not for hope by hoping for the best, not by rubbing a, a good luck charm. That, that our only hope in the face of coming judgment is faith, putting our trust in Jesus Christ alone. So that even if in this, in this text, in this context of Habakkuk's story, even if there is destruction coming for the nation, there is hope for individuals who hold fast in God. Do you hear that? Even if the circumstances around you look doomed, even if things seem to be going down the toilet, there is hope for those who cling to Jesus. The righteous shall live by faith. And so, yeah, we're in the Old Testament. And yes, in the Old Testament, we don't have this full-blown theological truth called justification. It isn't, you know, it isn't all uh, penciled out, detailed out for us in the Old Testament like justification is really explained for us in the New Testament. Yes, that may be true. But here in the Old Testament, showing that God's story from front to back is about the fact that we're over here in a mess and that God is holy and perfect and righteous and there's this problem, this gap in between. And here we are in Habakkuk chapter two, verse four, this pivotal verse 
in the book of Habakkuk showing us that God has a solution to this problem and that from front to back, his name is Jesus. The key phrase here, but the righteous shall live by faith, summarizes for you and I the path that we are to live before God. Chapter two, verse four, this phrase, the righteous shall live by faith, explain for you and I the way that we are to live this life. And this verse, I believe, is so critical, and, and, we, and we see this because God in his sovereignty writing the scriptures through various authors over many, many years of time, God then in the New Testament quotes Habakkuk 2.4 at least three times. And so really quickly, I wanna spend just a few minutes running through these three times in the New Testament that quote Habakkuk 2.4, showing us the importance of the fact that we as followers of Jesus, the righteous, if we wanna be made right with God, if we are right with God by his rescue, we will live by faith. Did I, what did I say? That we will live by faith. Not just that we lived by faith at one point and became followers of Jesus, the righteous live by faith back then and become followers of Jesus. And then you and I, the path that God has set out for us is to live by faith. Today, tomorrow, this week, etc. How will we live? How will we find life through faith in Jesus? Let's look here at the first time it's quoted, or one of the quotes in the New Testament, Romans 1. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Friends, we say it over and over around here at Faith Church that the gospel is the good news that Jesus rescues sinners like you and me through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. And so yes, it's for God's people. Yes, it says it's for the Jew first. Yes, it's for God's people, but it's also, thank the Lord, it's also for the Gentiles, for non-Jews as well. The power of salvation for all people. The rescue plan that God has put in place is the power of God that brings salvation. How? Well, let's keep reading. The very next verse, verse 17 says, for in it, for in the gospel, is the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, here's the quote of Habakkuk 2, the righteous shall live by faith. The gospel is the saving power of God. And one thing the gospel does is reveal the righteousness of God. As we, as we come to understand the gospel, as we come to understand the good news of what Jesus has done for us, we come to understand God's character, his holiness, his justice against evil. So the gospel reveals the righteousness of God and it, and it gives us the answer to this, this gulf, this gap, this problem that we've seen over and over this morning. The gospel gives us the answer of how we, wretched, rebellious sinners, how we can be made right, brought into relationship with a holy and perfect God. How do we sinners meet the demands of his holiness? How do we, in this mess, match up to this? Only through faith in Jesus Christ. Because he can where we can't. And, and right standing is by faith, from, we saw in that verse, from start to finish. Our faith, by faith we receive the gift of salvation, 
I urge you, if you are not a follower of Jesus, if you have never surrendered your life to him, if you're trying to do it on your own, if you think that you can save yourself, if you can manage your own problems, if you can get through the evils and the difficulties of this world on your own strength, please recognize that you can't and entrust yourself by faith to Jesus, saying, I can't, you can, please save me, Jesus. Come to faith in him today. It is by faith we receive that initial gift of salvation, but friends that are followers of Jesus, church family, it is also by faith that we continue to live every day, giving ourselves to him, recognizing we can't, recognizing he knows better, asking our questions, being honest with our complaints, but saying, Lord, what do you have to say to me? Help me. By faith we live each day. And and we're gonna see as we continue to study Habakkuk Habakkuk learns this. He's wrestling with the tough questions. He has a hard time with what's going on with it, around, it, around him in the world. But we're gonna get to see in the next few weeks that Habakkuk learns that life, real living, is found by living each day with faith in Christ. Another place in the New Testament, it's quoted as Galatians 3.11, where it says, this is on the screen, now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, by following rules, by effort, by trying to earn. No one is made right before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. We we sometimes may think if we're not careful about our Old Testament, we might think about the Old Testament portion of our Bible as about law and rules and about matching up and about pleasing God who's holy and perfect and gave us all these rules and so we've uh, we've gotta follow them, we gotta fix it, we gotta figure it out. If we're not careful, we think of the Old Testament as law, and we think of New Testament, the the New Testament part of our Bible, as as all grace and and God pouring out to us. We may think of the Old Testament as only uh, God's people obeying the law, and that, that being the only thing they're supposed to do. But look, look at our passage today. Habakkuk 2, even in the Old Testament, today's passage, we see that righteous standing before God, being made right before God, cannot be achieved through the law. For it says in Habakkuk 2, for the righteous shall live by faith, by trusting God. And Hebrews 10, 37 also quotes it. It says, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. God here is encouraging our perseverance that no matter how long it seems like it's gonna be until the end, till judgment comes, or till then after that, till God sets things right, till, till things are put back the way God intended, it might seem like a long time, but, but it will be short. And what's required for you and I in the meantime, the path that God has laid out for us is to put our faith in Jesus, is to live by faith. And shrinking back invites God's displeasure. And so instead, when things are seemingly insurmountable, when things seem to be going against us, when the evil surrounds us, when difficulty, when things aren't going the way we hope, continue clinging to God even in your darkest days, church family. Cling to him. Habakkuk cried out, how long? And God answered, you won't believe. What's your situation that that you've thought of this morning or in recent weeks? What's your how long? Praise God if you don't have one right now. Praise God. But, but many of you, us do. What's the thing that we're wrestling with? What's the how long question we're asking God? What's the why question we're asking God? His answer might be answered prayer right away. And again, thank you God if that's the case. And his answer sometimes might seem pretty silent. 
And his answer sometimes might see, even say what he said to Habakkuk, that it's going to go from bad to worse. And, and, he, and, and like Habakkuk, you and I are going to have frustration about that and go, really? God, really? Is that really what you want to do here? But God's answer to us today is that judgment will come against evil. You may be frustrated about what's going on out there, the evils of our culture, the, the, the difficulties and the trials that you're enduring because of the sin of others or because of your own sin. But I will set things right. The wicked will be judged, God says. And in the meantime, what I expect of you is to live by faith. The righteous, the ones who have, have been made right with God, put in relationship with God, live by faith. The good news, the gospel that we declare week in and week out at Faith Church, that the good news that you and I want to carry to people around us who need it so much, the good news is the, the gospel is the good news that Jesus, that God justifies, we could insert that, right? That God justifies sinners. That God makes us right through Jesus. And followers of Jesus live, find life now and eternal by putting their trust in Jesus. Father, we thank you for being with us this morning. We thank you for your, your grace and kindness to us. Father, we thank you for your word that we can study and learn and hear from you. Oh, holy, holy God. We lift our eyes to you. We, we adjust our posture knowing you are holy, exalted, other, worthy of our worship. Holy God, we know that we fall short, that we don't match up, that we, that we go against you. There is the, we know that there is no righteousness to be found in us from our own efforts, from our own behavior. So God, we thank you that you are a God who pursues and rescues. We thank you for forgiveness of sin. When we think of justification, we first think of that you have forgiven our sin. God, I pray that I would never take that too lightly. That all the ways in which I have gone against you, disobeyed, rebelled, God, thank you for the forgiveness of sin. And then the glorious truth that God, that, that, that followers of Jesus, those that have trusted Christ, that you then see in us the righteousness of Jesus. We thank you that Jesus came and lived and died so that we might live, so that his righteousness, that his purity would be imparted to us, that God, when you look upon us, you don't see our sin and the death and the consequences that we deserve. God, we thank you for the good news that in Jesus, you see him. So God, help us to set ourselves aside and to recognize our own inability and that our lives are entirely from you. Father, teach us how to live by faith, not just once, when we receive the gift of salvation. But God, teach us to live by faith each day, trusting in you more and more, trusting in you in every situation, trusting in you no matter what the circumstances, trusting in you through it all, we pray. Teach us how to live by faith. We thank you, God, for your great love to us, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.